Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits, all of my friends. Good to have you tuning in today. If you're a first-time listener to Mavericks and Misfits, we welcome you to the podcast. And if you listen just for a few weeks in a row, you'll pretty much figure out what we're about. And uh, just for disclaimer purposes, I would say that um, my goal with this podcast has been from the very beginning just to produce some um, food for thought, to be able to talk about truth, to be able to talk about cultural um, happenings in view of the lens of truth. I'm an unapologetic uh, Christian who is committed to the authority of the written word of God and to the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And uh, a lot of our churches have forced us over decades to pick between the Holy Bible and the Holy Ghost. And um, you don't have to do that. (laughs) If you want to be an authentic Christian. Uh, As a matter of fact, you can't pick between the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit. You just can't. And so uh, when I look at the history of the church, it was birthed in what I would call apostolic doctrine, i.e. truth. And it was also birthed in Holy Spirit power. And the early Christians lived in those two realms. And it was never, ever, ever God's intention for one to replace the other. And R.T. Kendall, Dr. R.T. Kendall, I believe, is the one who coined the idea that there was a great divorce that happened in the church. And as with any divorce, the children go to live with one parent or the other. And in the context of this illustration, he said, one parent is uh, the scriptures, the other parent is the spirit. And ever since the great divorce of word and spirit in the church, people have chosen which parent they will come up under. I am a word Christian. I believe only the Bible. I don't believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit have anything to do with us because we have the written word of God and that's all we need. And so the gifts of the Spirit are no longer necessary. And then you have those that go live with the Spirit. I am the child of the Spirit. I don't want doctrine. I don't want theology. I don't want parameters. I don't want knowledge. I don't want Bible studies. All we need is the freedom of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my spiritual parent. And so you have these two ridiculous, unbiblical, I'll even say ungodly extremes where people will either toss away the authority of the scripture or toss away the necessity of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And so what Mavericks and Misfits does in part is kind of what I've just done for, I don't know, going on about 20 years now is say, um, we're actually supposed to operate in both word and spirit in truth and the supernatural. And so that's my two minute intro to tell you if you're a first time listener, that's kind of what you'll get. And today I'm going to lean towards this topic of, um, what does it look like? to have a radical obedience to what the word of God says in particular about what it means to be saved. Hey, do you know if you're saved? Can I ask you that intrusive question? Do you know that you are definitely saved, that you are born again, that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ? Most of you would say, well, of of course I am, Jeff, because I believe the gospel. And I say, amen. I'm glad you, you believe the gospel. And I'm glad that you have trusted that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, where he shed his blood, was the perfect and only payment for your sin. I'm glad that you believe that he was buried after literally physically dying for our sin. 
I'm glad that you believe that he was raised again. When I say I'm glad, I'm not being flippant. I'm like really glad that you believe that he was uh, resurrected and therefore putting on full manifest display that he conquered death. He conquered death as the wage of sin. He conquered the penalty of sin. He took it. He took the full penalty of sin in his body. He beat it and raised from the dead and therefore lives victoriously. And I'm glad that you believe that um, those who come to him by faith and repent of their sin and trust him will um, have all of their sins expunged permanently from their record. I'm glad you believe that. So you believe the gospel and therefore you're saved. Can I ask you a deeper question? Do you obey the gospel? Do you obey the gospel? And lots of people would automatically say, well, what does that matter? Because I believe the gospel and we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by trusting. We're saved by believing. We're saved by accepting and saying yes to those gospel facts you just mentioned, Jeff. What are you talking about obedience for? Because that sounds like a potential for works-based salvation discussion. Well, I would never base my salvation on my works because you and I both know that our works are like filthy rags, like apart from grace and apart from uh, the victorious payment of Jesus Christ for our sins. Our works don't matter. We all know that. That's Christianity 101. But did you know that multiple times in the New Testament that those uh, references, those referenced as believing the gospel are also the same people being referenced as those obeying the gospel. So let me give you my thought for the day. If you don't obey, you haven't believed. Now what you didn't hear me say is if you sin, you haven't believed. You didn't hear me say if you don't obey perfectly all the time, every day in every way, you haven't believed. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. If your profession of faith, if your disclaimer or your declaration is a better word, that you have believed in Jesus Christ and he is your Lord, if you've said that with your lips, let me give you something. It has to result in a life that is obedient to the Lord that you say saved you. Has to. And whereas we would all understand, even as first John chapter two and chapter three tell us that if we say we don't have any sin, then, you know, we're lying. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're saved and you're perfect, but we are so far away from that kind of thought that what we have now allowed the pendulum to swing into is the idea that somebody could be genuinely saved and have a disregard for living a life that obeys Jesus Christ, his teachings, and I'll even expand that, that obeys the revelation of God in the written word of God. And so I want to I want to just ask you to consider the the state of your soul to do a little investigation in your life. My goal here is not to, you know, cause truly born again people to doubt their salvation, but my goal is to have every single one of us consider our salvation and ask the question, is it real? Am I changed? You know, we're living in a day where in a zeal for evangelism and in a zeal, perhaps by some, 
to say this many got saved or I saw this many saved under my ministry or we had a hundred decisions or a thousand decisions or 5,000 decisions today for Christ. Now, look, I'm all for people coming to a place where they have to decide yes or no towards Jesus. But if that decision is a valid yes towards Jesus, we must stand firm on the biblical truth that a faith that saves is a faith that behaves. You know, John chapter three, everybody knows John three sixteen, but you know, John three 36, 20 verses later, um, we have this statement, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now watch this. This is probably a good foundational verse for today. So whoever believes on the Son, whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. I mean, that's very clear in the Bible. So we are saved not by working, but by believing. But that belief in many cases has been reduced to an intellectual agreement with biblical facts. A person that says, mm -hmm, yes, Jesus lived, mm-hmm. I believe that he was sinless. Mm -hmm. I believe that he died on the cross as a substitutionary payment for my sin. Yes, I believe that. I believe that he rose again the third day. Indeed, I believe that. And I believe that um, his death on the cross satisfied the Father's wrath against my own personal sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. And it is possible to say all of those things and not be born again, not be saved, not be made into a new creature, not be redeemed, not be forgiven. You can believe all of those facts, all of them. You can believe them, but it is not merely a mental assent. It's not merely you saying yes to those things. By the way, let me inject something here. The devil believes all of that theology about Jesus that I just said. Satan believes all that. Satan's theology is not um, an issue. He probably know, knows more robustly truth from the kingdom than we do. What is the difference well, the difference is the thing I'm concerned about with many so-called Christians is the difference is, is that we say we believe it, but we don't yield to it. We don't submit to it. We don't surrender to it. We don't um, repent. Because that verse goes on to say not only that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Did you get that? So very quickly, the doctrine of depravity says that we're all sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. We are depraved. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot bring ourselves spiritual life. Therefore, we are, in essence, in our lost state, we were born under wrath. Phrases like, you are of your father, the devil. Phrases like, children of darkness. And so, we understand that we were enemies of God in our natural birth. And so, the new birth brings us life and brings us out of the wrath of God. So, when you effectively, truly surrender and believe in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God no longer remains on you forever and ever. You're delivered. But notice what, Je what Jesus says in John 3, 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. What does it mean when it says the wrath of God remains on you? Well, it means that you never came out from under the wrath of God. I'm not saying you got saved and lost it because you didn't obey. I'm saying if you don't obey as the normal pattern of your life, you have never been saved. 
and the wrath of God still remains on you. Because the New Testament never makes a distinction between a saving faith and an obedient faith. They're not two separate categories. They're not two tiers of Christianity. That literally, when you truly believe on Jesus Christ, you receive his nature within you. The Holy Spirit comes within you and you become a new creation in Jesus Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, old things, behaviors, mindsets, they begin to pass away. They're removed from you and all things are becoming new. And so what it means to believe It means that you believe to such an extent that you experience a supernatural uh, transformation because you become a new spiritual creature. You become alive. And part of being alive in Jesus is not only the desire, but the ability to obey him as he leads you. Romans 2.8. Listen to this one. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, there you have it again. It, it doesn't simply say that for those who, who do not believe the truth. It says for those who do not obey the truth. You, you'll be surprised that this phrase concerning obeying the truth is used interchangeably in the New Testament with believing the truth. So again, I know it's a little bit of a quaint and probably simplistic saying, but a faith that saves will be a faith that behaves. A faith that truly um, captures that new life that God gives to all who repent and believe. That same faith will produce obedience in the one who is believing. But if you obey unrighteousness, Romans 2.8 says, there will be wrath and fury. Let me give you a longer passage, okay? This is a little Bible study-esque today. You like your Bible, right? If you listen to Mavericks and Misfits, you better like your Bible. And woe unto you that every time I move out of the prophetic or move out of you know some kind of flow and I teach Bible and you turn it off, woe unto you. Don't turn off your podcast when the Bible is being taught, okay? Say that particularly, all of you who are charismatics who listen. Oh, no, I don't want to hear more Bible. Well, listen, your your charismatic experience has no grounding nor foundation if you don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, you will be subject to counterfeit experiences that are not from the Holy Spirit, but from a different kind of spirit. And so the reason why I teach the Bible is so you can interpret your experiences through the lens of truth. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is a longer passage of scripture. I'm going to give you three verses on this, but we're staying in that same thread. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. That's really good news. I don't want to talk about that today, but that's really good news that God considers it righteous to repay with affliction anybody that afflicts you as his child. And verse 7 says, "He'll, He'll afflict those that afflict you, and he will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in verse eight. And he's going to be revealed with his mighty angels when he comes again in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't miss that. Second Thessalonians 1.8 says that flaming fire and vengeance from God at the end of the age comes upon those who don't know him, who are the same people who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So you can flip that statement and just walk it backwards, just invert it. Those who obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ are the same as those who do know God. Those who do not obey are the same as those who do not know God. So obedience and a saving relationship with God, are, are they're, they're embedded in one another. You can't extract obedience and say that's something different than faith because it's not. And matter of fact, 2 Thessalonians um, 1.9 says that those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Now, guys, I, the reason why I'm saying this again, I'm not trying to cause born again people to be afraid that they're not born again enough. I'm just saying if you're born again, your life longing, your tilt, your bend, your desire, your hunger, your thirst, that internal leaning of your soul will be towards obeying the one that you love that saved you. It won't feel like shackles to you. It'll feel like wings. Obedience is not meant to ruin your life. Obedience is actually the positions you to experience the blessings of God all throughout your life. But you know what? We live in such an, you know, just an anarchistic kind of day. Don't rule over me. I don't want anybody over me. No authority over me. And the spirit of the age is connected to the deep spirit of rebellion that is in so many people, even to the extent that some would dare to say, God, you must save me so I can have heaven, but you cannot change me so that I live a life of obedience. That's in the new gospel. The new gospel says you can experience God and he'll save you and forgive you, but he cannot change you. So therefore, however you're bent in the flesh, you're bent towards this sin. You're bent towards that sin. You're bent towards this one. That's okay because God made you that way. That's the new gospel. And therefore, if he made you that way, you don't have to change because after all, it's not about how you behave. It's just about what you believe. And I would say that that is a load of garbage. What about Acts 6, 7? Here's this historical verse as the church is growing. It says the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So in the context of people getting saved and Luke writing in Acts chapter 6, this is what was happening in the church. Tons of people were getting saved. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. Don't miss that. To be converted is to become a disciple. They're not two separate categories. Man, I'll tell you this. Early on, I was saved in 1994. And early on, I was literally discipled by a man. And I heard others preach this back in the day. That you get in just by believing. Pray this prayer with me and you'll go to heaven when you die. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. Please come into heart, my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. And that was the like that was the banner that waved over every evangelistic altar call. And I literally started questioning this guy that was discipling me and I'm like, "Hey man, you know those like three people that got saved supposedly like 2 months ago? Do you know that they're actually still fornicating?" They're actually still going out and getting drunk. Have you ever heard them talk? Because they, they curse up and down. They don't really come to church and they, they don't really live in any way uh, proactively in the kingdom. 
hey, what's up with that? And he literally taught me, well, Jeff, what you have is you have Christians that are carnal and they're not yet disciples. And then you have Christians that are more committed and they become they become disciples. But as long as they ask Jesus into their heart, they're going to be fine, but there'll be no reward for them if they don't start living right. And, you know, for a minute, I I considered that as potentially true. And then I read my Bible. (laughs) Sorry. I, I actually read my Bible and my Bible said, you're not born again. If you're still living a life of willful sin as the normal pattern of your lifestyle. And again, we have to leave room for moments of weakness in the flesh. We have to leave room for strongholds being torn down, but we leave zero room for any kind of idea that says that you can continue to enjoy a lifestyle of sin after you've been born again, or that you can remain indifferent to your sin after you've been born again, or that you can live without any discipline from the father when you sin after you've been born again. That's all lies. And there's so many Christians, maybe even some of you listening, and you, you literally protect your sin. You're faithful in all these areas, but you've got these two or three areas or maybe even one area where you know, bless God, I ain't giving that up. I'm not going to move out. I'm going to keep sleeping with my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend. I'm going to keep looking at porn. I'm going to keep getting drunk. I'm going to keep um, stuffing my face with food all day long, every day. I'm going to continue to curse like a sailor. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to do any of these things. And do you really, really believe that that is a valid disposition of heart for somebody that has encountered the son of God, the king of glory? Who told us this stuff? They're lying to us. And so when Luke says that, you know, the disciples, not just the converts were multiplying greatly. Let me take a sip of water. Hold on. Not just the converts were multiplying, but those converts, a synonymous term was disciples. All converts were, became disciples. They became followers, not professors of faith but confessors of faith. And when you confess Jesus as Lord back in the day in the early church, it could come with the death penalty. So there was no such thing as a casual, truly born again Christian. And by the way, the apostles called that out constantly. Oh, you think you're saved. You're not. <laughs> if you if, if, read the book of first John chapter one, two, three, read the book of first John, especially chapter two and three, just read it. First John, not the gospel of John, first John chapter two and three. And tell me that it leaves any room whatsoever for a person to be indifferent to the things of God and still be a genuinely born again Christian. And then the, I think the phrase in Acts 6, 7, going back to that verse from Acts chapter 6, Luke chronicled there when he said the priest, the Jewish priests were getting saved. He, he described it as many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So there is an understanding in a gospel conversion that you will turn from every way that you ever lived, from ruling your own life, from serving other gods or idols. You will turn, you will make a break away from those things and you will become obedient. Jesus is savior. He's also master. And that is an unpopular um, paradigm for him to be looked at in our day. We don't want a master. I mean, literally, the world, the word encompasses the idea that we are, you won't like this, but it's biblical, we are the doulos 
And that's a word that means bond servant. And the actual word means a slave. And so if, and Paul would say it a different way, you became slaves unto righteousness. And so literally we are no longer serving what we used to serve. We become brand new. And so any kind of idea that we can have a less than radical view of righteousness or sin just doesn't go with biblical Christianity. And I'm going to tell you why I'm, I'm, I'm going to, in, in the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you why am I hitting on this? Why is this important? Let me give you another verse first, Romans 1.5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. That's Paul talking. We have received grace and apostleship to bring ob- about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Did you get that? Paul says, I have received grace. I am an apostle. Uh, an apostle. My mission, my commission, my charge, my assignment is to bring about the obedience of faith. Do you get that? The obedience of faith. Why? For the sake of his name. And Paul said, this has to be done among all the nations. So Paul doesn't go around saying, repeat this prayer after me. He doesn't do that. The first message of John the Baptist was repent. The first message of Jesus was repent. The message of the apostles is repent. And repentance and belief are inseparable. Like you can't repent without believing in Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus effectively, savingly, without repenting and repentance means I'm not going to obey what I used to obey. I'm going to obey the Lord because he is the master. And then you got first Peter chapter one, verse 22. He's talking and describing what it means to be born again. He says to his readers, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth unto a sincere brotherly love, you should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Did you get that? Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth. We don't, we don't often see that angle. You don't just believe truth. You obey truth. And if you are believing truth, you will obey it. If you don't obey truth, headline news, you haven't believed. You have believed about but you've not given yourself to like you realize that our churches are filled with people who believe gospel facts, but won't surrender. And the reason why I'm sharing this with such an urgency is because increasingly I'm living with the awareness that our time is wrapping up. If you listen to this podcast, you hear me say it every couple of weeks or maybe a couple of times every week. Our time's running short. And some of you, I'll be bold, may very well be among those that are deceived. Your life gives very little evidence that you're following Jesus as a disciple. Now, you can go to church and you can enjoy Christian music and you can say amen to sermons and you can preach and you can sing and you can serve, and you can teach. And none of that is the truest indicator that you are truly born again. Because if all of that is happening on Sundays, 
or Wednesdays or wherever your church meets. But the rest of your life is detached from that kind of devotion to Jesus Christ. And if your non-Sunday days of the week, your non-religious days of the week, if those days are more marked by you indulging your appetites of the flesh and disobeying the one you say that has saved you, then you should be very concerned. You should examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Peter wrote that too. I mean, we're actually commanded to examine ourselves. Am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Do I truly believe or has all of this theological stuff about Jesus that I've said yes to, has it been stuck in the data bank of my brain, but never been transferred and therefore transformed my heart? Now, friends, Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was giving, in my opinion, what is one of the most frightening warnings in all of the Bible, he said at the end of the age, there are going to be people that stand before God in the judgment, and they're going to about to be cast into the lake of fire. And here's their protest. We, we prophesied in your name. In your name, we did many wonderful works. There were miracles and signs and wonders, and we believed in you. And Jesus says, I never knew you. We've actually never met. How in the world can he say those things? Because then he, the next thing he says to them is, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So those were church people he was talking to. And he said, yeah, I saw the stuff you did in my name. But if you had ever met me, you would not have continued as a worker of iniquity. You would not have obeyed your sin. The regular and frequent patterns of sinful behavior is an indicator that somebody has not been born again. Now, you, you probably would like for me to say, well, but here's how you know the difference between struggling with a besetting sin that the writer of Hebrews mentions he says, let us lay aside these besetting sins. What is the difference between a besetting sin that catches us every now and then versus a stronghold of sin that indicates we've never actually been delivered from the power of sin? Well, you go and find that out about your own life. That's not my job. But I would say this. If you're asking the question, is this really a sin that indicates I'm lost, never been saved, or is this a sin that I'm just struggling with? If you're asking that question in order to keep on sinning with that supposedly besetting sin, then it is more than likely you are asking the question that a lost man would ask because that's a question that says, I want to protect my sin. How do I know if this is a damning evidence of non-salvation or just um, a Christian struggling with a certain sin. If you're asking the question, if you're actually asking that in order that you can come to the conclusion that that's not a damning sin and you'll still go to heaven, and therefore your conclusion is, I don't have to worry too much about this besetting sin, then it's probably evidence right there that you are asking questions that lost people ask in order to keep their sin. 
save people cry out, God, deliver me from this sin. I repent. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll throw my phone away if I'm addicted to porn. I'll get accountable with my spouse if I'm flirting with somebody at work. I'll, 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 I'll ask my friends to gauge my words and what comes out of my mouth if I'm a gossip, I'm a slanderer. God, be merciful unto me, whatever it takes to get me free from this thing because I'm a disciple and I love you and I want Jesus more than I want the temporary fleeting pleasure of any sin in my life. And God, because your son is my master, I want to obey him. That's the longing of my heart. It's crying out within me. I want to obey the Lord, not because I fear hell, but because I love him. And man, we need a renaissance of this kind of clarity on the gospel. As I close today, I'll tell you about two, three weeks ago at our church, the Holy Spirit had me lay aside my prepared message. And I just heard the spirit saying, go after false converts in this house, tell them what it means to be saved. So I preached the gospel that I just shared with you in this podcast. I preached the gospel to church members and 10 came forward and committed their lives to Jesus, recognizing that everything that they had said up to that point had been a farce. By the way, just in case you think I'm judging anybody, I was that guy. Prayed the prayer at age 14. Jesus come into my heart. Actually, I prayed the prayer at age eight. Got baptized at age 14. Water baptized. And then lived like the devil. And that whole decade from age 14 to 24, living like the devil, I told everybody I was a Christian. And if I had died, I would have died and gone straight to hell. And thank God that a faithful witness where I worked took two years to show me out of the scripture. Jeff? You say you're saved, but this is what the Bible says about saved people. Do you believe in your own authority more than the word of God? And that's the question I'll leave with you today. As I close out today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits, friends, right now, surrender all. All of it. Don't be too proud. Don't worry about what will people say if they find out you had never really been born again. What does it profit you to gain everything you could gain in the world and forfeit your own soul? If you are a slave to unrighteousness, that means unrighteousness is still your master. If you are truly born again, it means Jesus is your master and your daily living will reveal it. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com. 